I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, I'm Michael Morgan, and we're back for another episode of The Wokecast. Joining me, as ever, my sister from another mister, that's G. What's going on, G? What's up? How are you, Mike? I'm not bad, actually. I'm feeling a little bit kind of like emotional stroke happy. It's a wonderful day over here. It is absolutely a balmy afternoon. And, um, you know, I'm here sat in a t-shirt having just coming from the garden. But I say mixed emotions because just saying those words, the Wokecast, just reminds me that Black Rob, the creator of Like Woe, is no longer here. And truth be known, it was Black Rob and that particular track that actually inspired the name Woe TV, Wokecast, Aww. everything Woe that you actually see it's basically born out of that track i mean really and truly i'm sorry um it's actually come to you know this kind of like situation where i'm acknowledging where the origins of the word woe and woe woe cast woe tv come from but these are just facts which i just feel need to be aired but r.i.p black rob yes a lot of memories in the club with black rob for me so shout out to him i had my ass out shaking with with some of his tracks so r.i.p to him for the memories too am i being a little bit kind of um previous or too harsh in saying where was puffy in all of this because <laughs> i understand he's probably grieving i understand it's a little bit raw but where the r.i.p's are popping off all over twitter Puffy hasn't said anything. He didn't say anything when Black Rob's um, video, which surfaced, must have been last week or the week before, where he was actually in the hospital. And it looks as though, you know, really having that kind of career in rap, you would have thought that, I suppose Puff would have had his back. I mean, he did two albums with Bad Boy, the stable Bad Boy record. And to like, I suppose, go out like this, it's kind of like made me feel, you know, a little bit resentful um, to, towards Puffy because it doesn't seem as though he played his part when Black Rob needed him. But you rein me in. Maybe you might have some new news. Maybe you might have an insight that I've missed here. But where's Puffy? I don't know. Like when you check the blogs, there's conflicting statements. There's people, there's, oh, okay. you know, reports that Diddy reached out to Black Rob after the former bad boy said he's sick and homeless. Like I can actually see some of these reports, you know, on my right. computer right now. But it's like, how much of that is the truth? And how much of that is just maybe you're just putting that out there to, you know, to, to make sure everything's kosher and you don't look bad. Because, you know, Puffy mm. could be, maybe he's not saying anything because he's just p putting his brand first and he's just not getting involved. But do I think it's kind of foul? I'm sure. But I don't know what transpired between them either, too. So to just, you know, just to be like, oh, Puffy's foul for not reaching out. We don't know what happened between them. So I, I don't know. True. 
I'm not really true. Tripping. I mean, not everything in terms of um, relationships and mm. um, the way that you interact needs to be on social media. So maybe, as you say, behind the scenes, things are actually happening. Things are actually popping off. Things were actually in place for Black Rob to get the care and attention he needed. But it just strike me as a, a little. It did strike me as a little bit odd, having seen the video, having you know put it yeah, out he that he was homeless. Yeah, and you know he did need help. It makes me think how much of this help was forthcoming from Puffy. But like you say, look, I'm not in the know. Yeah. You know what I am in the know about? Mm -hmm. The last few days has been incredible for combat sports. We've seen two mixed martial arts events in the Bellator card and UFC card take place. But also a little bit of boxing. But before we get onto the boxing, I mean, obviously, that seems to be doing the rounds in terms of the timeline, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. We're gonna go back to Friday night where we saw Bellator 257. And speaking of um, Bellator 257, I just wanted to say a massive thank you again to Leah uh, McCourt for joining yes. us in our spaces that we had on Friday before the fights. It was incredible to see the fans interacting via spaces. It was incredible to see the fans actually get involved and, you know, the loads of questions. Um, okay, we had a few technical difficulties, but it was good to see the place full of people wanting to actually interact with Leah. So thank you everybody who came along. Just to put the word out there, we more than likely, whilst we um, get the details ironed out, we more than likely will be doing a spaces for the forthcoming card this Saturday. But going back to Bellator and 257, Nemkov versus Davis, just a little bit of a heads up. In terms of format this week, we're going to look at two points or two issues that we each are going to bring to the table with regard to these fight cards, the 257 and the UFC card and Jake Paul. So we're not going to do a detailed breakdown as we normally do. Just trying something new in terms of format here. So in terms of the two uh, talking points which I want to bring to the table, Nemkov versus Davis 2, Bellator MMA 257, I want to start there. The first um, point I want to bring up is the incredible ground game that we got to see from our man who's usually uh, the stand-up merchant, Raymond Daniels. Raymond Daniels now 3-1 and 1 no contest against Peter uh, Stanoik. Now, you might remember that this was effectively a rematch because the last time that these two met, <laughs> Peter Stanoik um, left with his family jewels a little yeah. bit swollen after um, having them kicked to smithereens by Raymond Daniels. <laughs> so it was incredible to see this actually put together again um, and to see what actually played out because not only did we get the flashy kicks, the flashy punches, the flashy twists and turns and twirls from Raymond Daniels but we saw a ground game as well which was incredible. What did you think of this fight? I liked, um, I liked that I saw coachable Raymond Daniels. I liked the fact that he was listening to his corner and then that he was going for takedowns and he was implementing yeah. something that we don't usually see which goes to show me that he is training very hard in that area. So I was happy to see that. But I will say this, since we're going to talk about both points, good and bad, pros mm. and cons. Mm. The cons mm. with this is that Bellator needs to stop with the mismatches on the prelims. Like, every fight on the prelim was a glorified 
blatant mismatch. And that's what we saw here, too, with Raymond Daniels and Peter Stanoic. He had Peter had nothing for him except heart, and he was gritty, and he was tough. And I was actually impressed with his performance because he was so outmatched, but he hung in there. And I just... It's okay when that's every once in a while, but when, like, every fight on the prelim is an obvious mismatch, it kind of got a little, you know, daunting a bit. But I still enjoyed Raymond's performance. He still had a good time because it's like you said, Mike, all the flashy kicks, the punches, and then the improvements. I mean, what is there to be upset about in his performance, you know? Nothing. Yeah. Nah, I hear you. I hear yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. To segue into what you want to bring to the table, the, or the first thing you want to bring to the table, I've got one left, but I'm going to hold that back until you've made your point about what you, uh, or what actually floated your boat in um, this matchup. Well, I kind of I like JJ Wilson and Pedro Cavallo. Why? Because I've been watching JJ Wilson quiet as kept. I've seen a, quite a few of his cards. I mean, excuse me, quite yeah. a few of his fights. He's eight and zero. And every time I see him fight, he's just making the right decisions at the right time and just really developing properly. And I like to see, this is a good thing about Bellator. They really do develop their prospects. And it's you can see it with JJ Wilson. And he remains undefeated and he's still getting it done. And he has a nice attitude. And I really like watching him fight. But again, this was a mismatch. So, of course, he was able to flourish. And, and, and a lot of the fights, Mike, were mismatches. I mean, Lance Gibson Jr. versus Marcus Surin. Come on, man. Like, Lance Gibson Jr. was throwing everything at him. And it just was like it was like he was sparring and having a good time in the gym, you know? But it was a beautiful display yeah. of martial arts and also, like, a beautiful display of Lance mixing it up. And his striking was superb. Coming from someone that's only had four fights you know professional fights he looked excellent so i don't know there was a dis- beautiful display of martial arts in the prelims but a lot of mismatches once again did you think so in terms of mismatches because yes. look we had mads burnell now whilst this isn't my second point that i want to bring up it was an mm. incredible matchup considering that they were both equally matched going in 14 no that was a good one yeah the- yeah, and the fact is, you know, Pedro Cavalier, this is Pedro Cavalier, although he was actually, what, the first person or the first persons mm-hmm. uh, matched on the prelims, he's coming off um, a, a title run and title shot. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't have said that this particular matchup was um, particularly mismatched. And especially when you look at the true, records, true, Pedro true. is what? He's 11 and 5, 11 and, and 5. JJ Wilson's yeah, yeah. Um, 8 and 0 as well. But I, I love the fact that you highlighted. JJ Wilson because I'm not going to lie when it comes to um, prelim fighters on the Bellator card I don't know who's who I don't know or <laughs> Me didn't too. know that Me too. JJ was, was somebody to look out for and yeah. for you to actually point him out is really kind of like in keeping with what goes on around here. You're the authority on the premium <laughs> fighters. You're the authority when it comes to people to look out for. So JJ Wilson definitely has got my eye now because you mentioned him. Yeah, and I, that was actually one of the matches on the prelims that I was like, okay, finally, this is a like an even matchup. They're, they, you know, this is a close contest, and they're both grappling here, and it's like they both got to outwit each other. So Saul Rogers and Mad. Uh, Mads Burnell was not an example of that. I agree. Mm. But, and then also, too, you are 100% correct about Pedro Cavallo. He's got that veteran experience. But I just kind of noticed that the prelims were one-sided. But I'm not going to complain too much because I watched them and I enjoyed them. I was impressed with Carl um, Albuquerqueson versus Viktor Nemkov, who clearly doesn't fight as well as his younger brother, which was shocking. Like, he looked kind of terrible. <laughs> and Yeah. Right? And... 
I don't know. I still had fun. And I did think that even though Julia Budd won, she had a hard time with Diana Silva and didn't really look like herself. She seemed a little bit stiff and, and, and gun shy, but still a good contest. And that was a decent matchup as well. And just springing uh, or springboarding um, into basically the, the main card and using your phraseology there of uh, not looking yourself not look, and looking a little bit stiff. Paul Daly versus Sabah Hamasi. That, I would what say, is a good fight. descriptor for what actually went down. Because for me, seeing the limber, the slick and the powerful Paul Daly of old um, on Friday, I don't think kind of like matched my recency bias in terms of what I, I, I remember about Paul Daly of late when I when I've watched him mm. he he I have to say my heart was in my mouth in this and that okay truth be known I am a Paul Daly stan and Me it, too. I suppose it comes to the fact that you know over the past what 10 years we've worked on so many mini documentaries together we've worked on so many behind the scenes uh we've in, oh I've interviewed him numerous times plus he's kind of like shown me a side of him that you know a few people get to see in that he is a very humble, warm individual. I, I'll never forget the day, actually it was an evening, that I went all the way to Nottingham and we were filming together. Mm-hmm. Um, we were creating a, a mini documentary in the run-up to one of his fights and he was full of flu. He was trying to fight it off. So I was staying in, um, I think it was a and b um, local to, to Nottingham. And he, he, he said, uh, oh, where are you going? I said, oh, well, basically, I, I've got a place literally not far from here. And he said, oh, let me drop you. And this guy was literally hanging. His eyes were drooping mm. and he was coughing all over the place. I said, nah, bro, you need to get home and get some lemsip. He was insistent. He said, Mike, you don't really know Nottingham. This isn't the kind of place where you go walking around on your own. Trust me on this. So he kind of like persevered and we had a bit of trouble finding the place. But, you know, we got there eventually. But as I say, he was sick. He was totally ill. And it made me feel, you know what? This guy is actually decent. This guy is actually all right. You know, a lot of people do get to see the, the, the rough and tough daily. And they keep bringing up the reference point of, you know, what happened between him and Koscheck. So... That's where my bias come from. But as to this matchup, as to what actually transpired on Friday, it was giving me heart palpitations because for me, on paper, when you look at the 47 wins um, in Paul Daly's repertoire and you look at the 15 wins in Saba Hamas's <laughs> repertoire, right. already you're kind of like, well, I certainly was quite biased that this was going to be a very quick, sharp shot for Saba Humasa, who was actually talking the talk and to a certain extent when he got in there walking the walk because i really did think that this was going to be a one round dispatch from paul daly and it's going to float up into the sunset um punching the air or even doing you know some kind of like victory speech about mm. you know it's been an incredible run an incredible career but sabah humasi gave him problems yeah. paul daly made that look far difficult than it should have been and it just made me think again springboarding and piggybacking off what you said about julia budd he looked slightly stiff and he looked slower than the Paul Daly that I, you know, come to know and love. But at 38 Can, years of age, I yeah, mean, like when he's, he's had a good run. Right. And what do you expect? Yeah. What did you think? I thought he looked slower um, than usual, but still very dangerous. Like I was like, oh, he's slowing down. However, he scared the shit out of me in the first round. Mike, come on, man. Like, holy shit. He was getting like beat up by um, Hamasi and 
uh, from from what I surmise from his uh, post fight interview, like when he took the mic right afterwards, I think he overlooked yeah. Hamasi. I think he um, um, overlooked him. I think he d- he thought he could you know blow past this dude. And I think once he felt his power, he was like, "Shit, I'm in trouble. I gotta figure this out. <laughs> this this, yeah. this is gonna smoke me." And when he got when he after and. I'm, I'm rambling because the performance is so beautiful because it I yeah. feel like he went from like this slow older guy to like shit I gotta put this kid away and which is exactly what he did so when he caught Hamasi's foot and still managed to come around with that left hook that was still holding his ankle was amazing and it was pinpoint accurate like how mm-hmm. how the fuck was Paul Daly holding Hamasi's ankle let it go so he could fucking throw a perfectly technical hard and heavy left hook it was beautiful yeah. but that is yeah. pure Paul Daly fashion that's why we like him that's why we love him that's why we want to see him fight another striker you know so mm. I love um, the post fight interview I love that he admitted that he overlooks um, Hamasi I love that he was like before I fight anyone we're not friends so I didn't give a fuck about him and I had an attitude, but now I respect him. I like that. I thought that was yeah, dope. Yeah, that shows a mature Paul Daly. That shows yeah. a more seasoned veteran now that, you know, he's got those years behind him and that experience behind him. Because I loved as well that he kind of left the door, the door ajar because he's previously told me that this was going to be his last fight. He's previously said because mm. of the weight struggles, um, he was having trouble making 170. So I loved where he kind of like dropped off the kind of like end note yeah. um, in saying, look, whoever fancies it, whoever struggles to get down to 170 and feels like 175 is a good division for him, I'll fight yeah. him. Yeah. I've been in with the best at 170 and now I'm saying uh, here on Showtime and around the world that 175 or well, the 175 pound division is my division. If you want that belt, if you want my belt, fucking come and get it. I love Absolutely. that because it kind of gave me hope that he wasn't actually hanging them up. But we'll see. We'll see yeah. what fights that Scott Coker has for him. We'll see what he's actually offered because but they don't have a 175 division. Right. Scott Coker has already said we are not creating a separate division. So if you're contractually bound to a division, how are you going to fight continuously at 175? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we shall see. We'll see what Scott has in plan. But, you know, it just is interesting how promoters are not too keen in MMA about opening new divisions. You know, you see the mm-hmm. hesitation. They're like, ah, no, no, we don't want to turn it to boxing. It's, it's hilarious how they just want to keep the divisions that they have. But real quick, Mike, we have to talk about Corey Anderson versus... Um, I'm, I'm going to do my best here. Yashir Murata Muradov. Okay. Nailed it. No, I did not. I'm sure if he was here, he would <laughs> laugh at me. Um, God bless this man, and I'm so sorry you have one of the most complicated um, names I've ever seen in MMA. But Corey Anderson looked fabulous. I am loving ground and pound, you know, um, Corey Anderson, he looks sharp in Bellator, he looks happy, he smiles, he jokes around, and then he handles mm-hmm. business. These elbows from hell that he has perfected are beautiful, and I love the adversity that he faced here, because we didn't know much about this this guy, and this guy came out swinging, he was he was somewhat technical, I, I saw some little problems with him, but Corey figured it out, and I mean, he even, Corey even got hit with like some spinning back kick that landed, and he was able to like get his balance. You know, he ended the, the, you know, the stars that were spinning around his head and he was able to just still beat this guy up and the ground and pound was flawless and scary. Yeah. He's doing well yeah. in Bellator, long story short. He looks good, but, Mike. 
But why is he doing well? When you think about it, the... I suppose sticking point in the UFC was that he wasn't getting recompense, he wasn't getting paid his worth and they were dicking him around in terms yeah. of making sure that he was happy there. A paid fighter is a happy fighter That's what I was and say. Yeah. there is kind of like night and day with regard to the pay scale that he's on now to what he was at, in the UFC and it shows in his performance. And Every single interview he gives, the demeanor, the way in which he fights, yeah. the enthusiasm is all about a happy fighter. So it's no wonder that we're going to see these performances and going forward, we're going to see more of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last time I saw Corey Anderson, me personally, I worked UFC 244 Media Day and he I, he was so unapproachable that the Wallcast didn't get an interview with him. I was like, I'm going to leave him alone. He has a chip on his mm. shoulder. He seems very angry with Dana, and he was so pissed off that Johnny Walker tripped during the media event for, on purpose to kind of like have some fun when they did the way, you know, when they did the photos at um, Media Day. And it made yeah. me think of Jeremy Stevens pushing Drakkar close and ruining his fight, but we'll get to it. But I just remember last time I saw Corey, he had a chip on his shoulder. Now you see him on Bellator, and he's so happy. And I also think he feels appreciated. It's not just the money. He's getting the, you know, the star treatment. He has his own little segment with the other fighter. He gets yep. to show his personality. He's not just mm -hmm. another number that's not an exciting fighter, so you don't get your worth. So he seems happier here and he's able to flourish, Mike, and it shows. I love it. 100%. Yeah. Just before we segue into the UFC um, card, I think it would be kind of remiss of us, soon as we kind of queued it up and set it up and teed it up at the top of the show, not to talk about Jake Paul versus Ben <laughs> Askren. But in doing so, uh, I think it would be remiss of me not to mention that Frank Mir um, took on Steve Cunningham on Jake Paul's undercard and uh, man yeah. brutally honest um, did not look good did not look good for Frank Mir in two respects one obviously Steve Cunningham went to town on him but two it looks as though I don't know it looks as though perhaps um, Frank Mir is um, is on uh, on some kind of uh, supplement there because he looked huge he looked kind of different to how we've seen him in the past he looked jacked so um maybe the the, the creatine that he's on at the moment is uh is obviously doing his job because um he looked kind of like uh different let's just put it that way yeah i mean i don't know mike Hold on, Mike, sorry, my cat is doing something. I Hold on one sec, hold on. <laughs> I love it, I'm leaving this bit in. Usually it's my cat messing about. You can hear my cat, or our cat. Yeah, no, no, like he, he has been on bell. one, um, bef he has been on one, and he's distracted me. Ask me that question again, Mike. Sorry, he's terrible. <laughs> I was just saying that, I, I was just saying that, um, is it just me, or did, Frank Mir oh, looked jet. hugely jacked, jacked. and um, it's just a shame that it's a, it's a, it's a shame that um, you know he got dispatched the way in which he did. Obviously, um, oh, he, he, Mike, he, let he, me he, let me reel you in if you don't mind. Mm. Um, he looked jacked because he was using that sauce that he can't use in other organizations, and I'm all here for <laughs> allegedly. It. I'm here for the allegedly, allegedly. Mm. I'm here for the alleged kangaroo meat and whatever made him look. <laughs> yeah. um, 
wonderful <laughs> and I'm a huge Frank Mir fan. Mm-hmm. I have to say this. He's never boxed before. I thought he looked pretty decent for a guy that's older and has never boxed before and I thought it was just like a fun little slobber knocker Frank Mir really trying to get in there and fight. And and not for nothing when he cut the distance he was having most success in there too. Yeah. So and he got paid. You know, so I'm not mad at this and this is, you know, like this is, was like a fun, ratchet-ass event. I feel like last night, Triller was like when you go to like a um, like a, like a block party in the hood and you can't stay long because it's like you know at the end of the night maybe three people are going to get shot. So you just want to <laughs> say hello to a couple folks and get the hell Keep out of there before the shots pop off. Mm. Right, but you still got to show face and, and holla at Pookie and bop, bop, bop. But you just got to leave a little early because, you know, at some point somebody getting shot up. So that's how I felt like Triller was. And I'm just like, what's with the complaints? What with the, with the crying? We had fun, yada yada yada, and so did Frank Mir. I, I I wasn't mad at it at all, and he didn't look bad to me. He's never boxed before. The guy's a jujitsu ace. I didn't think he looked too bad. Yeah, you know he did look bad. Ben Askren for me because really and truly we knew that this would play out like this. I mean you've only got to go back and look at his hands when he's in the UFC or even his pre-fight hype promotional videos where he's shadow boxing. He looked horrible, looked horrendous but props to him. Props to him because he got paid, crazy paid as well. Nothing close to what he was getting in the UFC and what for little under a round it took to actually you know, given what we were expecting, and that is that KO. But props again to Jake Paul as well. He looked really decent. And to be fair, this was always going to be about the pay. This was always going to be about the, the entertainment. This was always about the circus, and it delivered on all of those fronts. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, maybe you need to reel me in right now. I understand that Ben Askren showed up, collected a check, and got punched in the face, and it was easy money. He didn't even probably work out. He didn't do nothing. But, like, I mean, doesn't he feel some type of way? Or, like, maybe his fans? Like, I, I don't know. Like, how come he at least didn't try to make it a fight? Like, I at least thought he would go in there, clinch with the dude, and at least come up with, like, some sort of game plan. I'm not saying game plan like, you know, it's title contention because it is Jake Paul. But, I mean, he really did nothing. He didn't train because now, like, you look at his body and you're like, oh, you didn't do anything for this. You maybe hit pads and, and, and laughed and joked about this with your family and friends. You didn't eat right. You didn't do nothing. And then you showed up with, like, love handles that maybe a 60-year-old <laughs> older woman had. It was just it was just so confusing. And then he stood there and got punched in the face. And now there's talk of people saying he threw it and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to it, he didn't take it serious. And I get that he didn't take it serious. But why didn't he at least try, Mike? Yeah. Try. I think, I think it's pretty dumb of people to talk about him throwing a fight. Really? Oh, it's ridiculous. That punch was... He, yo, was do you know after that fight... It was legit. It was so legit that I saw a post-fight interview, and which also confused me, by the way, Mike. Reel me in on this, too. Mm. One, his, his speech was slurry. I didn't want to say it because I hate like talking like that because I'm not a doctor. But I was like, he sounds drunk, like slurry. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. He didn't sound well, so you could tell the punch affected him. He was slurring his speech a tiny bit. And here's another thing that caught me off guard. Ben Askren's... He wasn't trolling when he did this interview. He was actually very sad that he let down the whole world. He was mm-hmm. like, because the, the interviewer was like, how do you feel letting down the MMA community? And 
he genuinely looked down and was like, I didn't just let down the MMA community. I let down the whole world. He was like, Jake Paul is a bad dude. And a lot of people wanted me to see him, you know, beat him. And I didn't get it done. And he looked sad. And in my mind, I'm like... Why are you sad? You should be bragging that you ate like shit, didn't show up, got the money, and you and your wife went out to eat afterwards. Like, I don't understand how he was sad afterwards, but you know you didn't do a damn thing to avoid that ending. And he, I firmly believe he was not trolling. He looked generally sad, Mike. So either show up and box the kid and take on this fight for the MMA community or just get your check and troll us. Like, and that's it? just it. I don't you know. You see, th- there was an element of, of disingenuousness about this all because you're yeah, right. Look, can, if you wanted to show up to fight, then come with it or come at it at an angle that we can verify that and believe yeah. you because he did look as though he'd just come straight off the barbecue, which he was tending to. And, um, you know, really and truly... And I... Go on. I expected him to get up from the barbecue with like a hot dog in his mouth and be like, jokes on y'all, I got a million dollars, I didn't train, and now I'm eating hot dogs with my wife. I totally expected his wife to bring him pizza in the back and him concussed, and instead he he seemed to be very sad that he lost the bout, and I kind of... Even though I did, I, I don't want to say I was irritated because I wasn't because this was just a shit show fun fight. But I, I was taken back by how he was sad. And a part of me, I felt like an old black grandmother. That's what you get. You wanted to show off, but you didn't do no work to, you know, get the job done. So now you're sad. Yeah. Sit down and eat your food. You yeah. know, like, what, what, I, I, what I, I don't get that. What I, what I loved ahead, about the commentary, though, was where Snoop Dogg was saying, Dana, where's my money at? Where my two million dollars at? <laughs> Loved it. Can we can we talk about the common the like can we talk about booths in general? We have a problem in MMA, Mike. Big John McCarthy and, and Morrow, whatever, was killing me on Friday. <laughs> oh my god. I almost jumped out the window and fell to my death in Brooklyn. They wow. talk about every shut up. They talk about everything. <laughs> ex, I'm so dramatic. They talk about everything except the fight in front of them. And they don't describe like transitions, punches, throws. It was I was so irritated with like I just I couldn't handle it Mike and then you switch over to like this little Disney event or whatever this thriller and Oscar De La Hoya was he on meth or coke which one was that (laughs) all of them all of the drugs yeah he he, he was like (laughs) fuck it I'm taking everything tonight baby thriller like that shit was crazy and then you jump into the UFC, and then just last night I felt like Bisbing was just talking a lot of gibberish. Dominic Cruz was confused. Like, man, bring on DC and Felder, man. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of like neatly segues into UFC Fight Night Whitaker versus Gastelum. Now, in terms of talking points, uh, I, I've rudely, in both occasions, um, taken the mic first. So I'm going to allow you to bring <laughs> your first talking point. Um, around UFC Fight Night Whitaker versus Gastelum. Take it away. Listen, I'm going to try to be nice, but also bring some negativity because I didn't like this card. So I'm going to try to balance both, Mike. So here the we go. The card was start. weak on paper and weak yes. in actual uh, entertainment when you actually watch but it. I but ju- anyway, sorry, I interrupted Yeah, you. but I just but I just hate being Debbie Downer week after week because mm. the UFC is giving us shit cards. You know, like yeah. you don't want that to be your persona. But anyway, that's me. Tony Gravely, Anthony Bershak opened the card, and I loved it. 
this is what we needed. This is what, like, it kind of, I feel like I got blue balls after this because I feel like this is how you start a fight. And then I was like, oh, man, this sucks. Um, <laughs> Tony Gravely was an aggressive wrestle boxer pit bull. I fucking loved it. And I love the fact that between the first two rounds, who, am I, are they coming from my arrest? Do you hear it, this, Mike? It, it seems so. I mean, you, 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 you're slandering the UFC card, so they're there right, for and you. Right, and they... And then I'm on a suspended account on Twitter. They come in, Mike. They come must, in. Um, must be that stream as well that you got hooked up. I don't like that. <laughs> the fire stick with 3,000 channels and I pay nothing. But anyway, back to Tony Gravely. He is just, I love I love his attitude. He's a fucking pit bull wrestle boxer. So, boxer. so he's like, his throws and his takedowns are, are rough. And he just throws you down like, a, like an animal. And then his hands are heavy. Yeah. By the second round, he fucking KO'd this kid. And in the first round, he dropped him, I think, with a left hook or a right hook. And then in the second round, he drops him with another left or right. I, I can't really remember, but it was just carnage, and I loved it. And then it was the high I needed for a card to open, and then... But I think, you know, we should shout out that card, and if you want to go back and watch a fight, go ahead and watch Tony Gravely versus Anthony Bershak. What about you, Mike? Your you see, on a, on a card, littered with decisions, that was a very, very disingenuous start because you, you, I started to think to myself, ah, oh, maybe I've got them wrong. Maybe I've uh, misspoke. Yes. This card is going to be fire because you, you're right. That was a good TKO. But uh, no, on a card littered with decisions, I was right on paper. But my point that I want to bring to the table that I want to mm-hmm. kind of like wax lyrical about was before the actual fight even started. Dracar are close and Jeremy Stevens were supposed to be co-headlining this fight card but really and truly the the drama kind of like unfolded live on screen when we saw them at the Wayans. Now when you look at Drakkar Close's um, body posture, arms behind him and Jeremy Stevens giving him a massive shove, the alarm bell should have been ringing there because that was almost like he was experiencing whiplash. Now on, when the broadcast started, the first thing that I, I forget which of the um, commentators said this, but brought to our attention that the, he had some unfortunate news. And the unfortunate news was there was an unfortunate um, injury that was sustained by uh, Drakkar Close. And yeah. basically, um, well, Drakkar Close would no longer be on the card. And that scrapped the matchup between Stevens and Close. Now, to be honest with you i mean that is a freak injury that is a uh unfortunate turn of events considering i do like the pomp and ceremony of the wayans i do like the argy bargy that takes place i do like the kerfuffles or 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 the actual um well things that actually unfold on the scale so i don't want to see an end to that but i was shocked and surprised that was the reason why that actually wasn't taking place. How about you? Well, well, I got my explanation from that from two people. And one of them is from Den, from uh, Twitter Spaces and also MMA Twitter. His page is La Phantom Dennis. And mm. in Twitter Spaces, um, you know Den. He's, he's from your yeah, yeah. Part, of the ta- part of town. Um, he, he made it very clear last night that it was whiplash that got him. And I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting because by the force of that push, you can see how if you weren't ready for that, you could whip your neck back almost like in a car accident when you're rear-ended. So that yeah. makes sense. And I'm not a doctor. So I'm like, oh, smart one. Good idea, Den, that I could see that. And secondly, Michael Chiesa had a 
excellent explanation from a fighter's perspective and a fighter that is always making weight. He said on the post-fight show that when you're making weight and you're at those scales, you're at like your weakest point of, of breaking down because you're you're on weight. You know, you're dehydrated. You've done so much for your body to, to, to make weight that there's a small window of like, you're not at your best. You're actually at your weakest. So right now, if you guys want to tussle and push each other, you're actually fighting, you know, tussling at a time when your body's not at its best and it's at its weakest and could break down yeah. so that's why in that little window Jakar Close was able to get such an injury in, in, in that time in that time period his body was weak he's making weight mm. and he wasn't prepared for it he wasn't bracing for it he was caught off guard and he got whiplash yeah and well, I think it's also very interesting I think it, we have to discuss brain trauma. We This guy got whiplash, and what happened? He is reporting concussion injuries. And that's mm-hmm. why I keep telling people, like on our last episodes of Shots Fired that I was there, we were telling Kairos, it doesn't matter if they look like they're having a lot of damage in the fights. We're not there when they're training. Exactly. Drakkar Close got shoved, and now he's having concussion injuries. Drakkar Close, someone that we're not even, you know, like we're not really thinking brain trauma or anything like that. And the guy got pushed and got concussive symptoms. I'm telling you, we're going to be talking a lot about brain trauma when these guys get older, and it's going to be very interesting to see. But And that's the scary it, thing. I mean, yes. what he said on Twitter, actually, his full statement was, after I was pushed by Jeremy Stevens at UFC face-off, I immediately felt my hand go numb and neck tighten up. Sean Shelby and the UFC official sent me to the PI to get worked on by the UFC PT staff for two hours. I spent the night eating, rehydrating, stretching, and even saw the PT staff later that night. I woke up early this morning with a migraine, headache, nausea, and the only thing that yeah, made me yeah, feel yeah, better yeah. was laying in the dark. Now, That's the UFC got me shit, medicine, and I rested for a couple of hours before getting up and vomiting. It was yeah. at that point we called the UFC doctor and he made the decision to send me to the hospital. I'm sorry to everyone who is excited for this fight. I tried to do everything I could to stay in this fight, but these issues are out of my control. Definitely, definitely concussion and definitely whiplash. And definitely war-torn and also suffered an injury in a window when his body was not at its best. It makes Mm. sense to me, but even though it's like a little freaky accident, my question to you, Michael Morgan, should Jerry Me Stevens still get paid or should he face some type of discipline or sanctions for his behavior? He should still get paid. I don't want to see anybody get reprimanded or any type of sanction because they bought it. They brought that energy to the Waynes because what we're going to see is stayed and boring Waynes from now on. Imagine the type of kind of um, things we would have missed from Conor McGregor, for example, at Waynes if that was a sanction that he would face if there was that type of shenanigans that went down. No, my my thing is this. I really do feel that, you know, in selling the fight, the weigh-ins and the face-off is part of it. That's why they do them, because they know there'll be animosity. They know that there will be friction, and they mm-hmm. know that there will be beef. So It's a no, show. Yeah. No? No sanction. How about you? Say so, No, no sanctions at all. In fact, I was um, the push and the shove that injured your car got me hyped for that fight. So I would feel like a hypocrite if I was going to be like, he needs to be punished for Same. it. Am I, do I feel, did I talk a little shit on Twitter? Like, man, I bet he won't do that again, which he probably won't. But I like the push. It got me excited for the fight. I didn't know mm. what the hell was going on between mm. the two of them. But 
to bring it back to Corey Anderson in UFC 244, Corey Anderson, he cursed out um, Johnny uh, Walker for acting silly and fake tripping as walking towards him for their um, photo op. And I remember him saying, "One, you don't do that because if you trip and injure yourself while you're joking around, you, yeah. like, you fuck with my money. And I couldn't help but to think of Jeremy Stevens hyping a fight for us, but then also getting his own fight canceled. So, yeah. you know, there was some truth in what Corey was saying. Because I remember thinking like, man, he has such a bad attitude that he's even complaining about Johnny having a little fun. Now look, now we're like, Jeremy needs to cut that shit out. Corey had a mm-hmm. point, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, Real quick though, Mike. Yeah. Real quick, I think we need to have a discussion about Gerald Mirshad, the man that got smoked by Shemaev and came back and had a beautiful finish against Bart Fabinski. And and I think people need to understand that Gerald Mirshad, um, 24 wins by submission, okay? So And then also he has the most submissions in middleweight history he, with six submissions, and he has surpassed... Damian Maya. But G, and let me tell you, G, come you're on, getting too excited. I'm gonna have to just no, no. You gotta, you, you gotta give him props for his craft. He's good at what he does when it comes to the submissions. Did you but, see the guillotine? And when yep, Bart left his neck out, he but, knew just what to do. Adjusted and s- put that puppy to sleep. Come on, man. Gerald and he broke su- a record. Gerald was supposed to win. 32 and 14 exactly. going in against Bartosz Fabinski. 15, 5 and 0. Oh. Come on now. He was supposed I, to I do just, that. G. I just get so excited when Jack yeah. finds somebody's neck because it's so beautiful and he does it often and I just love these types of fights. I mean, come on. And then you're just going to sun the man. He has more submissions than Damian Maya. Come on, man. show him some respect. Come on, Mike. Come on. And I, then the I, way I he did it, the adjustment of the hands and, ooh, I respect the work. submission. I respect the performance. But come on. Using G's vernacular, he did what he was supposed to have done. Come on now. I just have a feeling if Gerald um, was Gerald um, Townsend from UK, this would be a whole different conversation. <laughs> That's what I want to know. That's what I, if it, this was a UK man strangling people he was supposed to strangle, I, I beg to differ. And, but I'll leave it at that and I'll curse you out when we do shots fired. No, I, th- I, think, I think we both agree. We know how that conversation would have gone. I would have no, been waving the flag. I would have been up to tap dancing as well. Yeah, Gerald from the UK. Um, he, he is definitely yeah, you, title shot worthy. And um, this is the greatest man that we've ever seen. He yeah, saved the show. The way y'all be, right, the way y'all be on Paul Craig nuts, but you can't enjoy Gerald Mearshot is baffling to me because Paul Craig has not surpassed submissions in his fucking weight class and he hasn't surpassed a jujitsu ace like Damian Maya. So give Fact. Gerald his props and or Facts. pretend he's from the UK Mike for 30 seconds <laughs> Facts, no I, I hear you okay but the Mike, last thing I wanted to bring to the table with regard yeah, yeah. to um, UC Fight Night before I hand back to you um, was Robert Whittaker versus Mike, Kevin fix your Gastelum mic. Ke- Kevin, Kevin Gastelum fix your mic how's that you sound like you're underwater yeah you sound Mike do you um, let me interrupt you real quick. Do you? I feel like we can't skip Alexander Romanov and Juan Espino. That's like a big prospect fight, and it ended in controversy. If you're bringing that to the table, that's what you're bringing to the table. Okay, oh, no, okay, I just... Yeah, okay, sorry, I'm not keeping track because this is just a conversation <laughs> to me. I'm so sorry. But I thought we would discuss that before Whitaker because it's, you know, but go ahead. Okay. Don't mind me. Keep going. Robert Whittaker versus Kevin Gaston. Now, for me, this was a masterclass. This was Robert Whittaker at his best. Now, don't get me wrong, Kevin Gaston was bringing it, but 
man the way in which the intensity the diversity of shots the way in which Robert Whittaker bought the fire was incredible there's no one that can tell me no one I'm prepared to argue now and this is why I'm bringing this to the table with regards to the talking point he's definitely title shot worthy now come on give the man his flowers right Absolutely. I mean, who the hell else is? I mean, he's sitting at the top of that throne, baby. But I will say this: yeah. I'm about, I'm about to be Debbie Downer. Although his mm. performance was fucking flawless, I guess against yeah. a legitimate opponent. Do you know that Kelvin Gastelum has never been knocked out, and he's just one of the toughest fighters in the UFC, not in his division. In the UFC, he's one of the toughest fighters. And Robert Whitaker cat danced on that ass and won every fucking round easily yeah. and outstruck him and did outstruck him, out wrestled him, out grappled him, everything. Of course, he's one the number side. one contender. But allow me to be Debbie Downer, like I said, mm. I don't mm. see him. I don't see him beating Izzy, and I think even when he makes the adjustments that he needs, like he's if he fights Izzy again, Mike, he is not going to come barreling forward like he did before. They will come up with a very dangerous game plan, and I still think Izzy beats him, but we have to give Robert his dues, his flowers, and give him that shot. We have to. Facts. We facts. So finally, we're going to top off um, our look at UFC Fight Night with Gert versus Castellan with your last point around the card well i'm gonna cheat real quick so alexander romanov and juan espino was my co-main event it was the most anticipated fight on the card for me besides the main event and it did not Mm. deliver i did like the back and forth grappling exchanges i love that alexander romanov was landing some heavy ground and pound and i liked like when juan was tossing him as well it was just a great fight but then, like, once he hit him in the nuts, and then I didn't know if the nut shot was that hard. I'm not a guy. It didn't look hard. But then the way Alexander was was reacting to it, and then we got a weirdly weird um, technical decision split win. And it was just a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre fight, and I'd, I'd like to see a rematch. And shout out to Juan when Alexander tried to hobble over and shake his hand like, I'm sorry this happened. Juan looked at him like, you little bitch, I'm out of here. Like, you just, you putting on too much. He lit, Juan literally looked at him, laughed in his face, shook his like his pinky hand, and walked off like, you, I don't believe this. it's this bad, you ruined the fight. You could see it in his face, and I cracked up laughing. Did you happen to well, catch you that would, one, Mike? Yeah, you, you would, because with that as the outcome and normally when you think about it they they do get the opportunity to have a rematch where it's that element of controversy or controversy around it i can see where one's coming from but you know having been kicked in the nuts thankfully not for the last 20 years but having been kicked into nuts accidentally mm-hmm. um it's no fun it really does incapacitate you and you, you're lucky to have kind of like any sort of like uh, wherewithal after you're, you're trying to recover so i can yeah. see where um alexander's coming from as well to be honest with you but no put him back put him in a rematch yeah they need to rematch and just like like i said i don't have those body parts so i don't really get it but it did look like it was a not really a hard blow but when um yeah romanov hit the ground and you could see his reaction you were like yo he's not faking it i at no point was i like he's you know he can't continue he just couldn't and I just mm. felt bad for him. And real quick, an honorable mention, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He, um, Mike, he's not doing well in the UFC. What's going on with him? 
Last night, I mean, that Jacob man drowned him. Abdul in his last fight, he's known as a striker, wasn't he? Knocked out or he's having a hard time in the UFC and he might need to hit that like uh, that circuit, the regional circuit, bro. I don't see UFC caliber in this fighter. And shout out to Jacob Malkoon. Mike, he is a teammate of Robert Whitaker, and I liked his performance. It was intelligent. Not exciting, but the throws mm. and takedowns were dope. But it was smart, and he smothered this man to the win, and I liked it. But You see, that's kind of like a really good descriptor of the flavor of the fights. Yeah, there was some, um, there, there was some technical mm. uh, things that you could get your teeth into. There were some good displays of striking and um, yeah. attempts at subs. But uh, over... over the course of an evening where you're expecting yeah you're expecting to see an array of finishes and uh short and long form fights um it was a little bit disappointing yeah it was just very like one to ten this card to me was smack in the middle of five you know just just a five but i'm with you there but you know fights like this we've i feel like we've had a couple of them in a row where they were just meh hit or miss so i think this really lays out the red carpet for our super bowl coming up next you know week with ufc 261 kamara jorge welly zang Mm. rose valentina jessica andrage i mean we're gonna have a good time so you know buckle up mike get ready space is gonna be popping the card is popping and just pray that there's no covid no injury let's just pray you know so hold on Mm. and let's pray there are no gothic horror of performances on the card like there was uh, this past weekend. Speaking of gothic horror, I just really wanted to um, chew the fat with you real quick about them. (sighs) Them is the claustrophobic gothic horror that basically follows a black family, the Emery's, who moved from North Carolina to an all-white neighborhood set in Compton. It's via um, Amazon right now, and you can watch it on demand. Now, I know that this has like divided people in terms of what they think about this as a work of art in terms of uh, a, a series. The series was actually put together by its, uh, well, its creator um, was Little, Little Marvin. And it stars Deborah, <coughs> excuse me, Ayurindi and Ashley Thomas. For those in the know, you'll remember Ashley Thomas uh, is a UK export and his previous incarnation was as a um, grime stroke uh, rap artist and um, his turn as as an actor is absolutely fabulous, absolutely fantastic. So I personally thought that this was a very, very jarring um, attempt at art and attempt at storytelling. But overall, I enjoyed it. I mean, we're going to get into this um, as to why I enjoyed it. But I know that you had a different point of view. Hence the reason why I wanted to unpack a a few of the things that we were talking about on Twitter. Yeah, as far as them, I thought it was an entertaining show as far as like the imagery, the story, and I was not bored, and and it was written well, you know, it was very interesting, and it gave a very poignant and very unadulterated view of racism. It was like, for the first Mm. time, they are not sugarcoating racism and what black people have been through. My issue with this is just like, I'm afraid of this new genre of horror, which is basically like black pain, you know? And it's just, I understand this genre of horror is educating those that don't really understand the plight that we've been through. But at the same time, I, I have concerns about brainwashing and also 
what this does for the black psyche, for us to continually see ourselves oppressed, to continually see the things that we've already been through or worse over and over again. And when it, we're the only race that is really experiencing this, there are no shows on Asian hate right now. There are no shows, there are no genres of music showing the plight of, of other people. It's just mainly, you turn on your social networks, you can watch a black guy get killed in real time, and now you can turn on Amazon Prime and watch this family just go through such horror. And not only do you watch this family go through horror, Mike, it's relatable. I grew up in a white neighborhood. This was everything that I was afraid of when we first moved in. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like yeah, it was triggering me. And then on top of it, that when the black girl wanted to fit into school and her white peers, that was triggering me, you know, like, or like, it was just so many little, like when the teacher just assumed that the, the black student was having issues and, and not really thinking that the young girl was intelligent, that's racism. And that's something that I have experienced, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, when you're an, an only black child in a white school system, when you're struggling in a certain subject, it can't just be you're not good at math. It has to be because you're black. There's something wrong with you. So when I saw that mm -hmm. in the show, it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm being triggered and then add a horror component to it. And then add the fact that last, just last week I watched a black man get killed again on TV. It's like, it's too much, Mike. For me, when do we see stories enlightening black people? We already know about this pain. Enough. I'm tired. But it was good. You it's, see, it's good film. Go ahead. You see, that, that's where I, I beg to differ. You know, the narrative structure for me said this all. The way in which we travel through time, mm -hmm. through the various arcs in their past, you know, the, the, basically the, the black family. And it's interesting that you were talking about the trauma that was actually uh, on show here because they each had their own trauma which was borne out by a malevolent being, um, some kind of like macabre um, mm -hmm. ghoul mm -hmm. haunting them, which speaks to the narrative of black people and our experience. We've all had that haunting feeling. We've all had that horrible experience um, of racism. And that's why we have to kind of like look at this for what it is. It's not just talking to us, G. It's talking to white people as well. And why, why I felt that this was incredible is it didn't actually skimp on realism. I see exactly where you're coming from in terms of the theme or the, the theme. And I see what's actually underpinning yeah. it in that, you know, yes, black trauma does seem to be the quote unquote new genre. But is it? Is it really? When you look at the narrative structure and the way that yes. we travel through time in various arcs um, and we look at the past of all of the protagonists here in the family, they all have their demons. They all have their ghouls. They all have their haunting sensation. And I thought that was a good and a, an incredible pictorial way of describing black pain. Mm -hmm. We all have that. But I, I think one thing which is seemingly missed by the critique of them is that this is a, a, a work of art. This is um, a series which isn't just talking to black people it's talking to white people as well and I love the way in which it was unapologetic in the way that little Marvin just yes. puts it all out there and the tropes that he uses when you look at history when you look at the plight of the black man and black woman it was all on display there not only did you have racism in its covert forms in terms of um, the way in which housing was actually divvied up was actually shared out to black right. people and they made yes. 
Yeah, which they, is totally they made true. Sure that yes. certain pockets of blacks could only exist within certain pockets of whites and it was very very minimal you can have one here and you can have one over there but no overcrowding and they were set they were set up to fail they were set up to purchase homes that they could not afford nor could they ever pay off in the 30-year agreement that they had Mm. which is which is all true and here's here's what i did enjoy about it is that but also didn't like about it is that Mike, like, you know this stuff is is true. Like the cat in a bag incident, that has yeah. happened to a black... I, I guarantee you that if I hit it the horn, happened. I can find that source. I can mm. find who that has happened to. Just like the director did his due diligence, you can find information like that. Like, when I read... Um, medical terminology i found obscure torture stories of things that slaves that have been through but that you just don't find in normal archives or like in school books you find about like how they remove a man's jaw put it on you know backwards or messed up on purpose so they could make fun of him as he did his chores Mm. so he they basically disfigured a black man for fun and put his jaw on fucked up so they could like make fun of him as he walked by like you can find stories like that which leads me to believe that cat in the bag and other incidents in that story are true that is someone's story and i love that it's unadulterated it's not censored because you find like in that show underground you find that they there's a lot of white guilt. You find that they cover up, you know, a lot of the violence, or that Which the they slaves didn't do look here. Yes, or like when you'll watch a slavery movie and the slaves are well fed or yeah. they're in colorful clothing. Yeah. That is a lie, and that is people trying to just kind of cover up the fact that slavery was just far more violent mm. in the Caribbean and in the United States than any other place. You know, so they try to cover that up. But in this show, they don't cover up any of that. But it needs a disclaimer. I swear to God, it needs like yeah. a parental you're, thing for black people. Like, right. if yeah, like I needed that because like even though I enjoyed it and I watched it, it triggered me to a point. Like I, it didn't. I didn't need it. Is what I'm saying. I know about all that stuff. <laughs> I do my due diligence. I, you know what I'm saying. And I don't need to be reminded of how I grew up. That that show is good for white people that really want to know what the fuck black pain and plight is about and then the stress we carry with ourselves because of it exactly and you're right on on one thing from where i'm sitting in terms of the disclaimer Mm -hmm. you definitely needed that or certain people who were triggered i wasn't prepared mike yeah Yeah. neither was i and that's why that's why it was quite in a bag yeah (laughs) that's why it was quite an eye-opener for me because you're right in terms of the historical context of what we were seeing unveiling there un- unraveling there a-, a lot of that is actually steeped in research yes and thank you i, like I could tell they did all the heavy lifting for us because all of that in 10 episodes i learned a lot and i think it reminded me that whilst um yes i, I taken time out to to learn black history and when you think about it it shouldn't be the case. It should be part of mainstream education. A lot of people don't po- have that as their source. As in, a lot of people haven't gone out and dug about black history. And you can best believe that white people certainly won't be out there digging about black but history. That's why yes. I think that this was so important. And that's yes, why that, I think it was really yes. important to keep this as real as we actually experienced yeah. it. Because when I saw the the... Um, spoiler alert for anybody listening. When I saw the portion of the show about how they 
trap black people into realty disasters and it's yeah. actually them profiting off of systematic racism i was happy to see that because that is for the racist person online that's just like slavery was 200 years exactly. ago you had plenty of time to get your shit together but these are the people that are ignorant to all the stories of you know like them literally putting black people in neighborhoods that they could not afford yeah. and fucking them up economically in that way in the real estate business. And mind you, that story can be told in every state in the United States. It's, it was huge in Chicago, by the way. Mm. But real estate scams for African-Americans, middle-class African-Americans, is very well documented. And for this show to kind of show that shuts up people like, yeah, pull your bootstraps together and pull it together. How? When you create systems to keep us in place, su- yeah. inferior to you. Yeah. And that show shows it. It kills the whole, no, slavery was so long ago. You guys, you know, you guys don't have fathers. All that bullshit they try to say that systematic racism doesn't exist. That show eats at that with that very scene with the real estate scam. It was unreal. And I that, loved it. And that's why it was so clever because it takes us to the past and takes us to their present to say yeah. that, you know, whilst this happened several hundred years ago, a lot of the themes are still happening then. Now, yeah. that was actually set, what, in the 60s? But look at the themes that they're 50s, talking about, which are so relevant. Yeah. 50s, okay, 50s. Which that is so still relevant apply now. in 2021. Police brutality. You've yeah. got racism as a theme. Basically, the, 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 the torture porn aspect Real of it estate, as well is racist played out scams. as well. Yeah. There you go. So many of the themes. Also, the stress, the black fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You, you could say a lot, I would say 99.9% of those themes that supposedly, quote unquote, historical, have relevance and are happening now. Yep. It was, it, I totally agree with you. I just feel like I could, like, probably call my therapist after watching that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but it was quality television. And then I'm just confused, like, Mike, who was the target audience? I'm still trying to figure that out. Is this for white people, black people? Who was this for? It's not I, for black people. Uh, no, I, I, dis- I disagree. I think it's for all people. Because remember I was saying, I know people that, you know, just like me at school, didn't get that level of depth in terms of black history, but haven't True. actually gone out to find out about it. It's all in this yeah. program. It's all in these 10 yeah. episodes. Now, if you yeah. care to look after you've actually um, seen this, I think that's a triumph in um, filmmaking stroke TV making because if it inspires one person to say, oh, let me look at this theme and how relevant it is. Let me go look that up. Yeah, Exactly. But not only that, I think from a white perspective as well, you can best believe, as I said earlier, there aren't going to be hundreds and thousands and droves of people who are white looking up the cultural significances here. I just can't imagine that um, there'll be anybody who having watched this is going to turn around and say, oh, let, let me let me go and do my research. No, that's why I really do think it's so important that it was so blatant, it was so in your face, and it was so unabashed in telling its story. Because the story, as yeah. I mentioned, needs to be seen by black people and white people, especially. 
Uh, listen, black people that listen to this show, if you do not like to watch Black Pain, I, you can skip this because <laughs> that's exactly what this is. No, I seriously, Mike. Like, I would say all my friends that I'm, you know, cool with in Brooklyn, D.C., they're at mm. that point. They're at an age where they, because it's so much on their social networks and on the news and on the media, they don't watch shows like this. And plus, they yeah. did their due diligence already. They know about the the economic, you know, real estate scams you know, with black people, they know about all this stuff. And so do I. Like when I saw that, I that's how I know it was prevalent in Chicago. Like mm. I've read about it in Chicago. Like I've done my due diligence. I don't need to be educated on the pain that I've experienced. So for those that don't need that education or you just don't care for black trauma type of genre or film, do not watch it. But if you are intrigued by that, or if you want to learn, or if you want an unadulterated fucking non-censored view of, of black pain and oppression and throwing a horror aspect in it, Watch this shit. Wow. You see, you see that's why. <laughs> I couldn't that, binge that, it, Mike. Could you why. binge it? Did Did you take breaks? Yeah, I, I was watching it like two episodes at a time, and that's why. Yeah, me too. I was so yeah. into it because of the fact that I hate horror as a genre. And I found it refreshing that, you know, we have a creator here who chose horror basically as the canvas in which to bring together not only these incredible characters, but just just terrifying concepts in terms of reality and weaving them into this kind of like fictional narrative but for it to be mm-hmm. underpinned by reality it was it was yeah. i think masterful in the way it was executed but the thing that really kind of like drew me in had me hooked mm-hmm. was i don't do horror that's not my genre it's not something that i would really kind of like run towards right. but it had me enthralled it had me really really kind of like well, okay, let me watch another episode after that episode. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, I was watching two, two yeah. at a time. Yeah, I couldn't binge it like the way you watch like a Netflix show and you just yeah. sit on your couch all day and watch it. I literally had to take breaks, I would say, every two episodes, watch something wholesome, jump back into this. You know, like I, I had to physically prepare myself because I also didn't know what was coming. And I realized that the director of this of this series was using actual historical sources even though mm. it wasn't said i could just tell yeah it was on point you know from my own research i was already like i've read about that that is correct that is yeah. correct that was excellent i will say that i'm just so, fucked up from it though <laughs> <laughs> so in closing then i've given it four out of five stars uh what will you give it in terms of stars yeah. i would say the same because i'm gonna i'm gonna review it from a cinematic film critic type of and that's why I watched it. I can't ignore mm. black pain in, in films because I'm a film head. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. as much as I'm tired of seeing it, I watch it for the cinema. You know, for the And I'm also a horror film. I'm not like you. I love horror films. So I had really? to watch this. Bitch, yeah. I love them shit so much. So I don't like gore. Have you seen The Exorcist then? Yes, I've read you the see, book too. I, I watched, no, no word of a lie, I watched must have been about half an hour of that and I, I turned it off I was like nah not for me turned it like, right off turned it off because you were shook or like it was corny to you shook yes yeah don't touch the book I couldn't even finish it <laughs> I couldn't wow. even finish it I got up to the part in the book when the demon was writing text messages on his stomach and I was like I'm wow. out of here I'm f-, and it was more detailed and you know books you're in your head yeah. and it wasn't a young girl it was a boy and then the book had the nerve to be like this is kind of a true story like I could not finish <laughs> that book Mike don't fuck with it <laughs> Mm-mm. Okay, well, 
that about wraps up this episode of the Wokecast. We will, of course, uh, be welcoming you on Twitter if you do have any points that we've discussed today that you want to further in terms of interactive discussion. So you can find me at Mike TV. Where can people find you, G? Just Gina MMA and only on Twitter. Incredible. So we'll be back midweek with the guys, Chisanga and Kairos for another round of Shots Fired. Until then, take care of yourselves. Make some trouble, all right?